Many, many years ago, there was a couple who worshipped with us named Halbert and Lillian Carruth, lived up here on Elm Street. I tell people that the reason that I'm bald is because Halbert could only um, put the ceiling fan as tall as he could reach, which was about about seven feet, okay? which meant that the ceiling fan hung about six feet, which meant that it comes to about right here. And so one day I was visiting at their house and I said, well, I've got to go slap my knee, jumped up and that ceiling fan hit me right there about seven times. Okay? And I tell people that's how I became bald is because, you know, of that ceiling fan. It was February, and I had gone by their house to, to ask if I could help with anything, and Halbert said yes. He said he insisted that I help him put in his garden for the spring. The next day, we began to till the soil. After a few days of preparation like that, Halbert looked at me and said, you'd best stick to preaching because you're not much for growing things. I admit that I don't have the greenest thumb. But I read Christine Hoover this week and she points out that farmers, their work, the daily wrestling with the soil is a coaxing, a searching, scrutinizing, and then a waiting, a giving time and space for the sun and the rain, for the mysterious and miraculous work of seeds to become sprouts, to become stalks. Now you may not be a gardener and you may not be a, a farmer. But I thought a lot about James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. If you will, let's read the text together. It says in James chapter 5 and verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. If you look at that text and you go back with me through it, there's going to be at least three imperatives that, that James brings out surrounding the farmer. First of all, he says in chapter 5 and verse 7, be patient. In chapter 5 and verse 9, he says, do not grumble. In chapter 5 and verse 12, he says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. It's no wonder that Scripture then encourages us to look to the farmer as an example. Let me give you a little background. First of all, when Paul tells Timothy to be strong in the grace of Christ, he points specifically in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6 to the hardworking farmer. When he exhorts the Galatian churches in Galatians 6 and verse 9 toward endurance, he speaks of planting with patience, waiting for an inevitable harvest. Jesus points out, and compares the souls of this world to a harvest, specifically to the word of God as a seed in Luke chapter 8 and verse 11. And then to the work of our Father's kingdom in that harvest terminology in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 37 when he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. So I can only conclude that a farmer knows something about faith. That people of the land, people who grow things, know something about faith and what that means. Now, I may not be any good as a gardener, according to Halbert, but I can learn to have faith from the ground up to the glory of God. 
So this morning I'd like to simply offer you three things that I learned from farmers. The first thing, it's all about the harvest. Why would you start if you weren't going to live for the harvest? Farming is a way of life. It's a lifelong commitment. It's not a typical job where you can give two weeks notice and walk away. When you're a farmer, when you farm, you're connected to a specific place. You're invested financially in a community and oftentimes to previous generations of your family who have farmed before you. In other words, I like to look at it this way. There are deep roots and a big picture perspective. Deep roots, big picture, it looks for the harvest. The farmer is covenanted, I call it. He's covenanted to his work, covenanted to the land for a lifetime. And he works that land in every decision that is done with the harvest in mind. And when I take that and I apply it to you and me, because like I said, we may not be people who, who have a, a cow or a tomato plant. When I take that and apply it to you and me though, that's translated to that the church of Jesus Christ is about saving souls. That's the result of planting the seed in someone's life. We watch it grow. And it saves a soul. Again, it's like a lifelong commitment to bringing souls to Jesus. And that lifelong commitment must demand unrelenting hard work with brief moments of harvest. There is more preparation, if you know anything about gardening and farming, there's more preparation than there is harvesting. And having said that, there's no short-term hard work that could produce an unending harvest. That would be more simple and a whole lot more glamorous. But Scripture never portrays the Christian life that way. It says, Matthew 13, that a certain farmer went out to sow the seed. And as you think about that, he has to sow the seed and then he has to wait. Remaining patient and active to keep the weeds pulled away. To make sure it gets water. To hope that the, that the weather doesn't you know, oppose him. But in all, in all, the reason he goes out is not to sow the seed. He doesn't go out to till the land. He goes out for the harvest. That's the point. The deep roots, big picture, where instant can never be a goal, where simply showing up doesn't count for much because you have to put the work in for there to be a harvest. Genesis 8 and 22 says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest. That means in the words of that old hymn, that we'll work till Jesus comes and then we'll be gathered home. We have to help. We have to be a part of the work. So the first thing, is, it's all about the harvest. The second thing is, it really comes down to faith. It comes down and relies on faith. Farming is a back-breaking, dirty, detailed work, and most of all, it's risky. There are no guarantees. A bumper crop one year could be wiped out by hail, flood, or whatever the next. All that labor, all that sweat, all that grime and waiting for nothing. So why do it? What's the point? Why would we invest everything in a risky venture like that? We might ask this thinking of our own lives and our own efforts to produce some sort of spiritual harvest. Why would we want to, to take time out of our busy lives to worship God or to study the Bible or to, 
to offer prayer or to to visit others or to 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 meet together in Bible study. Why would we want to to invest all of that when it is at best a risk? Because sometimes it seemingly harvests nothing or it could be wiped out entirely. All that time wasted. Why would we want to do that? Well, the farmer looks at his failed crop as a tangible reminder that the harvest in the end is not guaranteed. It's an opportunity from the Lord. It's an opportunity. The word that I like that's used more often in Philippians 1 and verse 5 is in the New American Standard. It says, thanks be to God for your participation in the gospel. The New International Version says it this way, for your partnership in the gospel. You see, the gospel is what we take out to sow. The harvest are the souls that are prepared to meet Jesus when he comes back. I don't know. I can't guarantee that every time that I go out and share the gospel that there's going to be a soul saved. What I can tell you is that I live for the harvest, as does every member of the Lord's church. The farmer must be faithful in his work to lay the groundwork for the harvest, but the harvest cannot be forced. It happens or it doesn't. But we remain partners with God. That's us. If you want to think of it that way, we're spiritual farmers, I guess. We're partners with God. No guarantees. All the risk. Living for the harvest. Partners with God. Now that creates a a cautious optimism. At the last minute, the weather could change. How there is nothing that can be done to protect a crop. It's like parenting, quite honestly. Over a long period of time, you you invest yourself in those children. You bring them to worship. You read them the Bible stories at home. And, and you, you pray with them. And you, you take them places where they can be, be around people who are spiritual and, and can develop help develop their faith. You do all of that. And, and, and over a long period of time, there are those little moments that you know that you're, you, that you, you're doing it. You're on the right track. You're doing it like it's supposed to be done. Yet even then, I may not see the reward that I want to see. I may not see it at all. As a parent, I discipline and instruct my children in the Lord. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Putting my faith in the hope that they'll be a part of the harvest. That's the opportunity That's my desire to be a partner with God in the lives of, say, my children. But there are no guarantees. There are no five simple steps to godly success as a parent. There is no no one way to share the gospel with others that guarantees a, a response back from them. Just the opportunity to be God's partner. To do the right thing over time. With the hope of seeing the result of God's word in their life. And if that's true for parenting. It's true in in the life of the church. We We may be raising up future leaders. 
we don't even know if this church will be here in 50 years. We pray to God that it is. We pray that it is strong and, and that it's taking the gospel out. But even churches in the Bible aren't there anymore. What happened? I wish I could tell you. I wish there was a laundry list of things to avoid. I know in Revelation 2 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, Jesus, he talks about churches and, 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 and he talks about there are things that he, he likes about them and things that he's disappointed in them about. And he tells them, and says, you need to get your, your house in order. You need to, to repent. You need to, to change how you do things. You need to take advantage of the opportunities before you. And we could preach that all day long and we do. But the idea is, is that somehow, somewhere, that the ground closed up, the word didn't, the seed didn't grow, and there was no harvest in that place. We need to pray. Pray to the Lord of harvest that we be faithful in the planting, that we pray that others water, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and that God give the increase, that this place might be a place where the gospel lives and where Jesus reigns. If we measure our success as a Christian by the numbers, we are failures. To focus on fruitfulness or fruitlessness is a frustrating endeavor. To work in faith is all we're asked to do and it's really all we can do. To remain faithful. Our lives like the farmers are an everyday commitment. And learning to trust God despite what we can see now. Despite the results that might come later. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I love verses 3 and 4. When you think about what it is that we are to be about doing. How do we remain faithful? I, I found that those two verses kind of sum it up for me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Success, you'll see, is in remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. I'd underline that. I'd out to the side, I'd just go, man, this is what I want to be. Someone who has a work of faith, a labor of love, a steadfastness of hope. We don't give up if it doesn't turn out how we wanted it to. So if disaster happens to our family, to our church, to ourselves, we are not the measure of success. The results are not the measure of success. Being chosen by God to do His work and will and faith and hope and love. That's the measure of success. When Jesus says, according to Matthew 25 and 21, His Master says to Him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Master. Finally, it's all about the harvest. And it is. And it's really a matter of faith. And it is. 
I'm going to leave you with these words. It's worth it. It's worth it. All these little voices you hear. We prayed for that. We did. I tell that story all the time to anybody that will listen. Bless their heart. We'll have people come in and they'll come from from outside and and some speaker will come and he'll tell me, he says, man, y'all got a lot of young families and a lot of kids. And I go, yes, we do. And he said, how did y'all do that? As if it's some kind of, you know, elixir that you drink and all of a sudden all these little children come out. That's not how it's done, by the way. Um, But saying this is that, you know, the thing is, is that how did all that happen? And here's the answer. We prayed and God answered. He blessed us. I can't tell you that there was some program or some video or some something we did kind of thing. We just kept opening up the book and worshiping God and praying, Lord, if you want us to keep going, then please send us the people that we can keep going with. And there they are. Sucking their thumbs. Reading their children's books. Grabbing hold to the little things about faith that mean the world. Will all of them become Christians? I don't know. Will all of them remain faithful? Couldn't tell you. But every time we worship, every Bible class we teach, every prayer we offer, everything we do together as church and fellowship and in work for the kingdom, it's worth it. It's worth it. Most farmers will tell you that they begin with the end in mind. Or that they think about the harvest every day that they go out into the fields. Because if you don't see the big picture, it sure gets tedious in those days when you're knee deep in manure or bouncing up and down on a tractor or an irrigation line bursts or when you're working sun up to sun down. But it's those moments if you're really sold out to the church, to your task, it's those moments that are the most satisfying. It's being part of the mystery. And the reward is always in sight. Psalm chapter 126, verses 5 and 6 says, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. always get excited when I when I go out in the yard and I see in the spring where where the pecan trees are starting to bud little buds of success promising to grow hope seeing reality in the bloom and the kernel it's no wonder that Paul says the hard-working farmer as in 2nd Timothy 2 and verse 6 is the one who ought to have the first share of the crops and so having said that I think if we're going to be those farmers in the kingdom, if you will, then what are those rewards that we can see now and and later? There are just a couple. Permit me to tell you that there's joy. There's joy. We find joy in the contentment in our work. In trusting God and experiencing His constant goodness. We are not in control Our expectations sometimes are way too high. 
But if I can be at peace with God and content in the work that he's given me, knowing that he grants the increase, I can have joy and I can have peace. Peace in the things that I cannot see. Confidence. Confidence in that the power of that word. Do you realize, do you realize that our children go to school for seven hours a day at a public school, for instance? They go to 35 hours a week and they sometimes can't remember from one year to the next their multiplication tables. I'm just saying it happens. Okay, I know that because I teach language arts and I'm still telling them in seventh grade what a noun is sometimes. But having said that, I can tell you that right now I can look out over this audience and if your children came to vacation Bible school back in June, they can tell you that it was about a guy who lived in a fish for three days and his name was... It's the power of God's word. It's the power of God's word. 45 minutes, 30 minutes here, 45 minutes somewhere else. And they remember the stories. And God plants that seed that grows in their life. I'm telling you, there's a confidence in how one tiny seed, one tiny word from God, becomes a huge plant that produces a thousandfold of seeds. The harvest multiplies itself and goes out into the, into the world in ways that we will never see with our eyes. Because we can't see it doesn't mean that it isn't happening. It's worth it. Because heaven, that ultimate reward, is before us. In our work for Jesus... In our weariness at times. The farmer teaches us from James chapter 5. To be patient. In the routines and the work. There's a reason we keep things simple and scriptural around here. Because it's in those simple scriptural things. That we find patience. As God works his mystery. In the seeds that are planted. We're not going to give ourselves to grumbling. Reason is, is that, and I've, I've lived a lifetime like this. I've sat around too many tables listening to people have preacher for lunch. Or that the church isn't doing this, or we're not going there, or we're not doing enough of this, or whatever it is you want to grumble about. And here's the thing, it doesn't change anything, does it? And it creates an attitude that just kind of becomes kind of negative, if you will. And farmers will tell you that grumbling doesn't change the fact that the growing is happening or not happening. It's just there. We are those people who must refuse to grumble. Because it really doesn't change the weather or the attitude. And we learn to be a person of our word. Let me correct that. We learn to be a person of God's word. And what I mean by that is this. Too many times we want to share a word with someone. We want to help them understand. And I've just started and, and use this if you can, if it helps you. My Bible says. My Bible says. My Bible says. And then lead them to the word of God. 
And let your yes be yes and your no be no. And anything else that comes out is is just kind of our understanding of it. But stay with the scriptures. and, And my Bible says you can't go wrong. It makes it simple. Accepting the good with the bad. Remaining true to his ways as we show the result of what being faithful to God looks like. So let's keep that deep root, big picture in mind. Let's keep praying. Could we use a few more young families with children? Sure. Could we use a few more wise heads with with Bible knowledge? Absolutely. Could we share the gospel with others outside of this place? Pray to God someday it happens. That we send someone from here somewhere else to share the gospel there. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Because then the word has grown among us that we send out from here. And oh, wouldn't that be wonderful. If we don't give up. If we remain patient. One day we'll enjoy a final harvest. Unlike our farming friends, this harvest reaches into God's eternity. Crosses a pearly gate and walks a golden street. And I can't think of being there without you. I tell my kids at school at least once. I said, I would love to know that 30 seconds after eternity begins that I would see you on the other side of the pearly gates. Which means that I have to get ready. I want them to be ready. And I want you. I would love to know today. To have that confidence. That 30 seconds after eternity begins. That I know I could see you. On the other side of the perfect gates. Would you make that promise to me? Nothing would make an old bald headed preacher happy. Nothing would make God happy. And no, nobody would rejoice more than the angels in heaven or this church. If they knew you were ready. For that ultimate harvest before the throne of God. Today you might need to be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Perhaps you need to pray and ask forgiveness of sin in your life. Maybe we need to help you in some way. God's invitation is yours this morning. If you would come to the front and make your need known as together we stand. And as we sing. Are you so